The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on, on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said, said that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, uh, for his, his footstool, or Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, For you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. So how is everybody feeling after that Gospel reading? Are you awake now? We were joking at 7.45 that I had sort of lost the lectionary lottery this week with this text. It's a, it's a whopper. And uh, I have no cute story for you about this text. <laughs> no quip. So we're just going to jump right into it. Um, this gospel reading today, which we just heard, is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which covers full, a full two chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. And over the past couple of weeks, we heard the first two sections. So two weeks ago, we heard the Beatitude, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, lovely. Last week, we heard you are salt and light for the earth, inspiring. And now, like any preacher, once Jesus has us hooked with those, he seems to lay right into us this morning. Four times in this text, Jesus says, You've heard it said, but I say to you. And there are two more that we'll hear in next week's gospel reading. So much to look forward to. (laughs) And this is a series of sayings called the antitheses. 
um, where Jesus takes part of the law and then changes it or turns it or transforms it. And this structure, this four-part structure in this text is really important. It's a big part of the meaning and the message that Jesus is bringing us. Now, just before this, Jesus says that He came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And by that, He means the religious law, like the Ten Commandments or the hundreds of other laws from the Hebrew Scriptures, laws that were primarily religious, but also societal laws as well, all wrapped together. And so, Jesus doesn't come to throw them all out. He comes to bring them in line with God's original intention. He comes to fulfill the law, to transcend it, intensify it, and deepen its meaning for us. And He shifts the focus of them from action to intent, from practice to attitude, from what we do to the motivations behind what we do, from the external to the internal, from the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. He draws out the law's inner dimensions. And he says in that law, in the law, the fifth commandment, that it says, you shall not murder. But then he goes on to say that anger can kill too, that insults do harm. And he sets a new standard. He says, don't come to the altar before you reconcile with one another. And as we heard last Sunday, that's one of the reasons that we share the peace before communion, to reconcile with one another before we come to the Lord's table. But in Jesus' time, he means the altar in Jerusalem, where you would go to make your sacrifices, which was days away from where his followers lived. And so making peace before approaching the altar meant going home on a several days journey just to reconcile before offering your sacrifice or making peace with those at home before you went to the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus says here, it's not only murder that kills, but the anger in our hearts, the violence that we do to one another from hate or anger or indifference. Likewise, it says in the sixth commandment, not to commit adultery, not to cheat on your spouse. Straightforward enough. But Jesus says that even looking at a woman with lust is committing adultery. And so it's not just what we do, but how we think and how we feel that matters. And while the law says, don't do it, Jesus says, don't even think about it. And Jesus is saying clearly here, do not objectify women. Are you with me? Continuing on, the law had said that if a man wanted to divorce a woman, he could just give her a certificate of divorce. Now, divorce in Jesus' time is very different from divorce in our time. There was no uh, lawyer and a dividing of assets and, and shared custody. Divorce in this time was terrible for women. It left people, women alone and destitute, sometimes falling back on their own families, but sometimes they didn't have to fall back on, could fall back on that at all. And so at the stroke of a quill, this wife was out. And so, in this text, which has been used really in some awful ways uh, to condemn people and shame people, is really Jesus' way of trying to protect women at the time, to safeguard their security in this. And so, maybe it's just worth pausing for a moment to consider here Jesus' view of the treatment of women. Jesus was revolutionary in many, many ways, but one of the biggest and most important ways was in the way that he regarded and befriended and treated women. 
Women were part of his inner circle, which was unheard of at the time. They followed him. They provided for the needs of the early Jesus movement. They were the first ones to arrive at the tomb on Easter Sunday and know that Jesus was risen. Women helped to spread the gospel and plant churches all around the Roman world. And here again, Jesus, in his fulfilling of the law, says, Do not objectify women. Don't dismiss them. Don't leave them vulnerable, but honor them. Fourth and finally, whereas the law says that you can swear, but not swear falsely, the seventh commandment, don't bear false witness, Jesus says that we shouldn't swear at all. Um, Don't swear to God, don't swear on all that is holy or anything else. Because such swearing implies a certain agenda, implies some kind of dishonesty or a fudging of the truth. Rather, Jesus says, don't swear at all, but tell the truth. Let your yes be a simple yes, let your no be a simple no, and let that be that. Now, as you might imagine, this text had me running to some pretty heavy-duty biblical commentaries this week. Um, I pulled some big old books off my shelf this week that I hadn't touched in probably years to try to understand this text. And one of those books talked about the history of interpretation of this passage. So, like, how did people understand this text in the time that it was written? Or how did they understand it in the early church or the Middle Ages or during the Reformation or today? Um, And this is what this one commentator wrote about how people had interpreted and understood it. He said, these interpretations were characterized by attempts to remove the sting of the text and to make its demands easier or to evade it. Basically, he says, Christians have been squirming around with these texts, awkward and uncomfortable and convicted just like us, ever since they were written nearly 2,000 years ago. And ever since they were written, we've been trying to find loopholes to get out of them. (laughs) But for a moment, or for a few moments, let's just let it sting us. Let's let it prick us. And let's look at ourselves, our lives, and our country in light of this text. Because all the things that Jesus identifies here, I think they are at the heart of the pain that we're experiencing as a people. Today, we are so angry. Angry at others, angry at our leaders, angry at everything and anything. It's palpable and it's exhausting. And in that anger, whether expressed or just smoldering deep inside of us, we do great harm and violence to others and to our own souls. Today, we objectify people. We can't see past how they voted or their party affiliation or their color or country of origin or their religion. We objectify people. We turn them into a single issue, a caricature, a stereotype, and often the worst kind. We turn people into one-dimensional beings, but people are way more interesting and complex and real than what we often make them out to be. Today, we imagine that we can discard people. Like the old law about divorce, we imagine that we can literally write people off because they are different or because we disagree, because we have enough friends that think or believe like we do. We have on all sides dismiss people sometimes just as summarily and arbitrarily as they did to women under the law. We unfriend and unfollow, avoid and ignore others, and cut ourselves off. 
Today, we have sacrificed the truth. It's said that we live in a post-truth world where facts don't matter anymore, where as long as you feel something strongly enough, it must be true. We swear to one thing, we make claims about another, and the truth suffers. But where is that simple yes or simple no that Jesus calls us to? Christians for millennia have stood in judgment under these texts, and we do too today. They were true in Jesus' time, and they're true for us. And in this state of the captivity of our souls and our humanity, our ability and our willingness to listen and love and reconcile, to repent and forgive and to understand, all those things that Jesus calls us to have been sorely diminished. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruits of the Spirit. He says that among the works of the flesh are enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy. By contrast, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which of these are we living out? bearing witness to, and creating more of in our world? Are we bearing the fruits of the Spirit in all of their fullness and all the abundance that God desires from us? The great Dorothy Day once said, if each of us could just remember that we are all created in the image of God, then we would naturally love each other more. When Martin Luther wrote about the Bible, He said that the Bible was comprised of two things, law and gospel. The law was not just the religious law like in the Ten Commandments, but anything in the Scriptures that says that we must do something. And our passage today is law. Boy, is it law. (laughs) And the purpose of the law is to convict us of our sin, which I think that has accomplished, but not for the sake of wallowing in our sin or causing us to despair but so that we can be driven to the other part of the Scriptures, to the gospel, which is about this amazingly loving, endlessly forgiving God that sent His own Son to teach us and heal us and to die and rise again so that we could be forgiven, our brokenness healed, so that we might have abundant and eternal life. The law holds a mirror up to us and shows us where we have fallen short, convicts us, and drives us into the only place where we can go in, to the arms of a loving God. And that's what this passage does. It drives us to God who wants to forgive us and heal us and reconcile with us so that we can be reconciled with one another. This God who empowers us to make a love-spreading difference in the world. So this morning, let's put ourselves our anger, our anxiety, our resentments, our questions and wonderings, our pain and our hurt, our whole selves into the hands of God. In our first reading from Corinthians, Paul is having his kind of own version of, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Because people in the Corinthian church were bickering, as they always did, And Paul says they were jealous and quarreling and behaving according to human inclinations. And each one was claiming a different leader, whether it was Paul or Apollos or somebody else. 
And today, we have so identified ourselves with one leader or another, with one party or another, one ideology or another, that we have forgotten, as the Corinthians did and that Paul points out to, that first and foremost and always, we belong to Christ. He says, we are God's servants working together. We are God's field, God's building called, claimed, gathered, and sent out to bear the fruits of the Spirit and to share the love of God. And so, let us do better. Let us love harder. Let us listen more and turn our hearts to God and to each other, putting our love into action, letting our light so shine before others that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen.